Pastor Xavier Reese says stepping out gets easier if the first step is on your knees. Jesus answered Nicodemus not according to what he said, but according to what was in his heart. You see, Nicodemus, the seeker, came to Jesus with an open heart. That's the first step. Now, are you come with an open heart this morning? You know, people have been telling you about him, but you can, well, I'll go finally go see what these Jesus freaks are all about. Let's see what's up. He deals with our heart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus explained in the parable of a persistent friend that we're to ask Him for what we want. And today, Pastor Xavier brings us the story of how Jesus provided what one man really wanted, and that was to know the way into the kingdom of God a simple truth that needs to be addressed by us all. So let's join Pastor Xavier for some background to his study entitled, How to Enter the Kingdom of God. As one examines the millions of religions in the world, one is made aware of the common denominator they all possess, that of personal works to merit acceptance before God. No matter what religion you look to, there's always works that you have to do. Herein is where Christianity differs from all human religions in that all a person has to do is to believe in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ, that which he accomplished on the cross. The key to enter the kingdom of God is declared by Jesus to Nicodemus the Pharisee in what is the first of several discourses that have been chosen by John. Now the discourse reveals the one and only way that all of mankind can enter the kingdom of God. The one and only way that all of mankind can enter the kingdom of God. And the secret of entering the kingdom of God is revealed to Nicodemus as he plays three distinct roles. First, we see Nicodemus the seeker, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, we see Nicodemus the skeptic, verses 4 through 8. And then thirdly, Nicodemus, the student, verses 9 through 15. Let me read the passage and we'll look at each section. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again or born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you 
earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. Let's look at Nicodemus, the seeker, verses 1 through 3. Notice first the identity of Nicodemus is given in verse 1. First, he is said to be a Pharisee. The Pharisees were of the religious order of the ritualist of the day. We've seen this before as we began John. Now, as you know, they interpreted the law, and the Mishnah was a codified scribal law. And for example, the section on the Sabbath extended not a fewer than 24 chapters. They took this one law and made 24 chapters in the Mishnah out of it. Then you have the Talmud. The Talmud is the commentary on the Mishnah. And now taking just this one uh, Sabbath law, which they had made no fewer than 24 chapters, then the commentary on it, it runs 156 double folio pages. So you can see that man extends and elaborates more. God says one thing. He says, don't eat. And then we have to tell people for three weeks what it means. Um, that's just the way we are. It's always best to listen to God. It saves us time and pain. Now they were to live out the very law they were teaching, but for the most part they became the epitome of hypocrisy in the days of Jesus. Now notice secondly that he was a ruler of the Jews, he tells us. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, and as we uh, have looked at the Sanhedrin, it was the ruling body of Israel. And the Sanhedrin consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees, okay? And they were just totally opposed. Uh, those of the Pharisees, again, the uh, ritualists, the Sadducees were the materialists. They didn't believe in angels and spirits and the resurrection. Kind of a weird uh, uh, companion. But nevertheless, that's what it was. Now notice also Nicodemus was a prominent figure in the Jewish community. We know this by his credentials that are given here. Uh, he was looked up to by his peers, and he was looked up to by the people. So he was someone who was renowned, someone of prestige, someone who, who stood for authority, someone who stood as a model. Um, here he is. He's before Jesus. There's one more thing about him that we don't get directly here, but we do by the gospel later on. It says that he was wealthy. You see, Nicodemus uh, came to bury the body of Jesus along with Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a secret disciple of Jesus who had asked Pilate for the body of Jesus in John 19, 38. And it tells us in verse 39 of chapter 19 that Nicodemus brought 100 pounds of mirth and alos, a great expense for that day. So he was uh, well-to-do. He was wealthy. Now notice secondly here in, in verse 2, we get the initial conversation of Nicodemus. Uh, and you have to follow it close. It's great, the stuff that the Lord just uh, provided for us here. It, it, it teaches us much. Uh, notice his coming was by night. Uh, now, there were those who, who declare, as you read commentaries, that he came by night because he was afraid of his peers, and, and they actually labeled uh, Nicodemus a coward. There are others who say that he came uh, to find fault with Jesus, though I don't find any of these two in the text. Uh, they are opinions of men. Uh, notice the context reveals to us that Nicodemus, for whatever reason he came, to Jesus by night, was a sincere seeker. How do we know that from the text? Because first of all, he is put in contrast to the individuals of the preceding chapter. At the end of chapter 2, verse 23 through 24, it speaks about Jesus not entrusting himself to those who entrusted to him because he knew the hearts of all men. 
And then Nicodemus, the problem is we read our Bibles with chapter breaks. Don't take the chapter break out and read it continuous. And, and Nicodemus stands in contrast to these men. Nicodemus came and Jesus entrusted himself to Nicodemus because he knew it was in the heart of Nicodemus. He was sincere. Now, he could have come by night revealing the chance that he was taking in view of the recent clash of the temple cleansing. So therefore, to me, he, looks, he appears very courageous. He's a prominent figure, taking a chance. He might have come at night simply due to the fact that they would not be interrupted. During the day, the multitudes are there, the crowds. Uh, he would have more time. He could have come at night after the practice of the rabbis of studying the law at night. He could have come at night symbolizing the spiritual darkness of his condition, of his spiritual state. Though he had credentials, though he had position, he was not born again. Oh, what a warning to all who stand in church and go to church and carry a Bible and think that that makes them Christians. At times, the condition of their spirit is dark and lost, even though they're among the light. Now, notice that he addresses Jesus with respect. Nicodemus calls him rabbi, which means master or teacher. Notice he confessed Jesus to be from God also. The statement is not limited to him. Notice the pronoun. We know that you are a teacher sent from God. So the plural is used by Nicodemus. We has to imply some other Pharisees, maybe elders or scribes, but he's not alone in this confession. The word know is oida. It means intuitive knowledge and can be translated perceive or understand. The exact same word in the Greek is translated see in verse 3. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see. There's the word again. Understand, perceive. It's the exact same word as the word know right here. Now, notice the reason that Nicodemus gives for believing in Jesus and that he is from God. It is the signs that he is doing. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, here we have sort of an oxymoron, sort of a sweet and sour, seeming contradictions. Because first of all, the statement that these signs were valid credentials to prove that Jesus was from God is true in that Jesus did all these signs within the boundaries of scriptures and he gave God the glory. But the statement in itself, apart from Jesus, is wrong. Because Satan can counterfeit signs and will through the Antichrist. He will come after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and deceivableness of unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says. The false prophet will do great signs, bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Revelation 13, 13. Signs and wonders must be judged by the scriptures. If they add or take away or contradict, then you do not believe the sign and you do not follow the wonder. This was very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 through 3 and on down. And so you have to be careful. If you are following signs without discretion, 
of checking it by the scriptures, then you are a candidate for deception. And people are running all over today after signs and wonder. And I've told you many times, the more signs they do, the more we wonder. And I am not denying miracles or God's intervention. You and I are a part of that, and we see it. People get healed. God answers prayer. God provides. We do not deny that. But we certainly do check it out to make sure it's scriptural. Very important. Acts 17, 11. Put that on your agenda. Put it in front of your Bible. And always be a Berean. Checking out those things to see if they're so. Now, notice thirdly in verse 3 the incredible response of Jesus. Jesus declares that what he is saying is of the utmost importance and truth by the phrase, most assuredly. The old King James, verily, verily. Truly, truly. He says it three times, verse 3, verse 5, verse 11. So whatever you're reading here, you better mark it as the absolute truth. And then also Jesus declares that unless one is born again, anothen, from above, he or she cannot see, oida, perceive, understand the kingdom of God. He says it three times, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7. Now how many times does God have to say something before we believe it? Three times he says it. The Nicodemus. Now, remember the kingdom to the Jew meant the age to come, when the Messiah would destroy their enemies and he would set up their kingdom and they would rule with them for a thousand years, okay? Now, the kingdom to the Christian is different. The kingdom of the Christian is present and yet to come. The kingdom is present, but we're still looking for it to come, right? The church is not the kingdom. When people tell the church the kingdom, they're wrong. We're not the kingdom. The church will not bring in the kingdom. Come on, let's go out and minister. Let's go all over the world so we can bring in the kingdom. Good luck. We will never bring in the kingdom. Christ will bring it in. The church is part of the kingdom, though. And the church will reign in the kingdom. But the church is not the kingdom. And the kingdom is present and is yet to come. A paradox. Distinct from the mentality of Nicodemus, as he understands the kingdom, because he never saw the church age. We are in it. Now, notice also that Jesus answered Nicodemus not according to what he said, but according to what was in his heart. He was thinking of entrance into the kingdom of God. Is that surprise you? Nicodemus said, we know you're a man sent from God because no man can do these signs unless God be with him. And out of the blue, Jesus says, you know what? You must be born again. Didn't we read in the previous chapter at the end that Jesus knew all men? Nobody needed to tell him anything? Boy, doesn't God nail us? We come to him with all the, oh, God, this and that. And God says, what's your point? Or he tells us something else completely different. What are you telling me that for? Because he reads our heart. He answers us according to our heart, not our words. <laughs> he deals with our heart. You see, Nicodemus, the seeker, came to Jesus with an open heart. That's the first step. When a little captive girl told the wife of the Syrian king that there was a prophet in Samaria that could heal her chief captain, Nam, of leprosy, the king sent him with letters, gold, and silver to the king of Israel that he might be healed. And Naaman came with an open heart in 2 Kings 5, 1 through 5. He came excited, an open heart. Now, are you come with an open heart this morning? Having heard about Jesus? You know, people have been telling you about him, but you can, well, I'll go finally go see what these Jesus freaks are all about. 
Let's see what's up. Have you come because of the miracles that people have told you about Jesus? Having come with an open heart. If that's your position. Jesus will tell you how to experience the greatest miracle by being born again. Your need of being born again. He will not tell you anything different. But an open heart is a prerequisite. Now Nicodemus moves on to portray himself as a skeptic. Notice, first of all, in verse 4, Nicodemus responds to Jesus with great skepticism. Nicodemus question, how can a man be born again when he is old, reveals two things. First, the futility of the natural mind to understand spiritual things. You know, 1 Corinthians 2, from 9 on down to 16, that uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And he goes on to speak how the natural mind can understand the things of God is foolish unto him, but we have received the things of God by the Spirit. And by the way, you have the mind of Christ. And so the natural mind, futile to understand the things of God. But secondly, the impossibility of such a thing being able to happen. That's an expression. How can a man be born again? In other words, it's impossible. But notice secondly here, Nicodemus' second question. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This confirms his blindness regarding spiritual things. Nicodemus' questions here are honest and sincere even though he is skeptical. You know, you can be skeptic, but if you're sincere, God has all the time in the world for you. He'll converse with you. He'll minister to you. You see, Nicodemus attempts to understand as well as, to, as he can and states his mind because he's sincere. Notice Jesus does not rebuke him. Notice Jesus does not become impatient. Notice Jesus continues to minister unto him. Oh, what a lesson for each of us when people want to ask us questions that we figure, well, that's stupid. Oh, really? What are some of the questions you asked before you were born again? And we have to learn from Jesus that every person is important no matter how foolish the question is. The only foolish question is the one you don't ask. Now, it doesn't mean we have the answers, but we're willing to listen to them. That's important. Notice, secondly, in verse 5 through 8, Jesus answers Nicodemus with great patience. Mark it well. First in verse 5, Jesus declares the same truth a second time by using a few different words to emphasize the source of the new birth and the results of the new birth. Now, this is the second time he's going to tell him he has to be born again. But there's a little difference in it, as we're going to note. He or she cannot see the kingdom of God is declared once again, but using other words, listen, as synonyms. Follow me in this. First of all, the first word that Jesus substitutes is the word enter for the word see in verse 3. Okay? So, see in verse 3 and enter in verse 5 are equivalent to the same. Emphasizing the result of the new birth. If you're born again, then you're able to see, understand, perceive, and you're able to enter the kingdom of God. It's very simple. And it's in reference to the kingdom, both words. Therefore, the word enter and the word see mean exactly that. That when you're born again, you can see, understand, and enter the kingdom of God. Now, the second word that Jesus substitutes 
is the word again or from above in verse 3. By the phrase of water and of spirit, emphasizing what? The source of the new birth. The word again or from above describes the source of birth, namely spiritual and from heaven, right? You must be born from again or above, from heaven, spiritual. Therefore, the phrase of water and of spirit must refer to something spiritual and from heaven and not something different which would only confuse the understanding of Nicodemus further. Now, he's having a hard time enough. So they have to mean the same thing in the same relationship of the kingdom. Now, stay with me. The only meaning that the phrase of water can refer to is the word of God. I'm going to give you some evidence. The term water is used in two ways in John. First, literally, and second, symbolically. It's the only two ways it's used. Ten of the 24 times it is found in John, it is used symbolically. Ten of the 24 times it is used symbolically. The other 14 are used literally. Baptized in water, like that. Now, nine of those ten symbolic uses are used of the Holy Spirit. Eight of them are found in the conversation of Jesus with the woman of Samaria in chapter 4 in reference to the Holy Spirit. The last time it is used symbolically of the Holy Spirit is in reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from the innermost being when we are born again at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, 38. Out of your innermost being shall gush forth rivers of living water. So out of the ten times, nine of them are used symbolically of the Holy Spirit. Fourteen are used literally as water. That leaves us only one other appearance of the word, and it is here in our text. Water. How is it used here? It has to represent the word of God. You say, how do you come to that conclusion, Xavier? I'm going to give you one. It comes from the very words in the mouth of Jesus Christ. In John 15, 3, Jesus said this to his disciples. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, John 15, 3. Okay? In Ephesians 5, 26, what does Paul say? That Christ will present to himself a bride without spot, wrinkle, any such thing by the washing of the water by the word. James 1:18 says that we have been born again. Let me read it for you here. Uh, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we're born again by the word of God. In 1 Peter, also 1.23, he says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So there are parallel passages to prove that it's the word of God that makes us born again. And it's used symbolically as cleansiness, as water. And so Nicodemus the skeptic has been patiently ministered unto by Jesus. What a lesson for each of us as God uses us to reach others. You might be saying like Nicodemus, how can I be born again at this point in my life? I'm 33, I'm 50, I'm 70. It's no problem with God. It happens through all different ages in life. You have to be open in heart to the Word of God as the Holy Spirit desires to reveal 
your need of repentance for salvation. Very, very important because God will never force you. And so, Jesus doesn't mind skeptics as long as they have an open heart. Pastor Xavier Reese with some good encouragement for us today with the simple truths drawn from the third chapter of the Gospel of John and the story of Nicodemus. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now there's still much more important teaching to come in this timeless message next time we're together as well. But if you won't be able to tune in, you can always request a copy of this message on CD for just $4. All you need to do is contact us and let us know you'd like a copy of the study entitled, How to Enter the Kingdom of God. And by the way, this is also a great way to pass along this teaching to others you know too. Once again, the title is, How to Enter the Kingdom of God, yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And when you do, please let us know the call letters of this station. Well, if inquiring minds want to know, Pastor Xavier will be bringing the answers. That's on the next Simple Truths. Hope you'll be back. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com